We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal Football Club sit top of the table after a dominant performance, but please let me remind you, no matter what you do, if you find yourself on the touchline at a football game, do not wave at your players. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Gunner, that's right. Don't wave. Don't aggressively wave at your players. Don't try to get their attention. That is, we will add that to the list of things that can get you carded that are not acceptable. I particularly enjoyed uh, Diego Dallo getting two yellow cards for, for being annoyed with the referee. Um, the the double descent booking. Meanwhile, people are elbowing people in the head. That's fine. Just just don't be annoyed with the referees. It's a beautiful thing that we have going on here in the game. Uh, what a wonderful, stunning, breathtaking, swashbuckling, extravagant, brilliant, sensational performance from the Arsenal. And while we probably didn't get the goals we'd like to see, I think that is great football. And I should mention Deserby thought it was great football as well. He was purring about the way we played. Had, you know, had good things to say about his team, obviously, because it's his team and he has to say it. But he felt that Arsenal is the best team in the league. I feel Arsenal is the best team in the league. And we will see if Clive feels that Arsenal is the best team in the league. We'll also find out if we can win the Champions League. So a quick rundown. We're going to talk about the Brighton game. We're going to talk about, you know, some of the challenges trying to get the goals, but also the brilliance of our dominant football. <clears throat> we are going to talk about the Champions League draw a little bit at the end. We drew Porto and uh, shocking Manchester City drew Copenhagen. Didn't see that one coming. Um, so we're going to talk about the draw a little bit. We're going to talk about Liverpool a little bit who failed to beat Manchester United, which is despicable. How do you not beat Manchester United? But I enjoyed it. So there's a lot on the table, a lot on our plate to talk about and uh, we will have a power rankings episode. Clive will be ranking the... No, you know what? He won't. Clive will not be ranking. Clive will be told a ranking, and then he will actually say articulate things about football. But if you want to jump over on the Patreon side, um, there will be a power rankings pod. We'll try to squeeze in a, a rewatch for Brighton. There's just so much happening. But we love you for being there, and we love you for being here. We just hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. I know this can be a tough time of year for some people. So whatever you're going through, uh, we're glad to have you with us, and we hope you're doing well. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you, sir? I am a bit under the weather. Yeah, well, it is that time of year, right? It is that time of year when you live in a cold weather place like this. 
the four-year-old's coughing, the eight-year-old's coughing. And when they start coughing, you just look on the calendar and you circle a day, two days out, and you say, that's when I'm going to start coughing and feeling lousy. And sure enough, uh, I am feeling lousy. So, Well, you did choose to um, live by the North Pole, God for sake. I don't, I don't know. It's just miles away. Yeah, we did. Well, it's because that way uh, we're first on Santa's delivery route. So it's <laughs> it's good for the kids that way. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump for him. He can do same-day delivery. He's like Amazon over here. Um, okay. Clive, I, there's there's so much that I want to talk about in this game, but I, I think where I want to start, I mean, we could, we could do a whole episode just on Declan Rice, but let's just start with the, the dominance in Arsenal's football in the first half. And did you feel more elated by the way we were playing or frustrated by the fact that we hadn't broken through? Because there was a bit of the Villa sensation of like, you know, Villa was different, right? High line, we were beating it, we weren't converting. Yeah. This was more our high press was really working and deserve you talk about that. Usually we have more control, usually we have more of the ball. They couldn't beat the high press. We kept taking it from them. But that final third thing cropped up again. So were you more buoyed or buoyed by the dominant football or or was your reaction more <clears throat> of a frustration and concern about not converting? Well, first and first, first things first, sorry. Um, you you want to see how we're going to perform, right? So, and when you mm -hmm. when you go to the games, which I'm very fortunate now, I go to every game at home, I'm looking for signals how sharp we are, right? <laughs> so, we're all nerds, right? So, I had a little look at the wall, not massively, just through the windows. And, and then you can see that look sharp. Then you like go... Little details, when, when they walk through, they line up the teams, Elliot, they, they take their tracksuit tops off and they give it to a guy who sticks into a little basket and off, off they run, right? So, And then when they took their tracksuit tops off, they're sprinting in. I'm thinking, they, they look on it today. And then the game started and I'm watching this game and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this isn't, this isn't football that we're used to. This, and I'm, I include Brian in this, by the way. The game has just changed ma massively. You know, when you see two teams that share very similar principles about being dominant on the ball, about not throwing the ball up the pitch, which your instinct tells you. I mean, to watch this game, Arsenal, Brighton, then watch Manchester United, Liverpool straight after, two different games. You know, one was just Maynard just booting the ball away. Brighton showed much more personality than Manchester United about how they want to retain the ball once they regain it. And so you're watching two teams with similar principles, and they're literally going man for man all over the pitch. And you're thinking, this isn't what I'm used to. <laughs> you gotta you gotta make sure you've got an overload here. You gotta make sure you got more people back. No, man to man. If the man goes deep, they follow him all the way in. I mean Gabriel in the first few seconds is right by the edge of the penalty area, the attacking penalty area. What is going on here? The game has just evolved so much. There's so much bravery, it's so dual centric, everybody's happy in different areas of the pitch, and this is night and day and from the game, even even seven years ago, you know what we used to watch and eulogise over. This isn't. Mm. This isn't another planet stuff. This is, and it was just it was foot perfect, mate. From minute one, it just looked like we were so bang on it, and it was such a, a fantastic example of Mikel Arteta football. The, it's probably the best game I've seen in his tenure mm. for seeing how he wants to play. This was the best game I've seen in life. Probably this and Charity Shield, funny enough. The two games I really, really enjoyed the most. I certainly think it's one of the best performances we've ever had in the league under Mikel Arteta. Obviously, you have to caveat that by saying 
creating chances and scoring goals is a big part of a performance. He can't just hand wave that because everything else was good. Mm-hmm. Where I think this was particularly good was the counter pressing yeah. and, and just the pressing in general. I mean, the Brighton are a team that plays slick passing football and they, while they sometimes concede goals, they often concede goals, I think due to a lack of organization defensively or getting stretched on the counter themselves. Yeah. I have not seen them be this unable to progress the ball. And Deserby said the same thing. Yeah. You know, they weren't able to play in the areas they used to play, and they weren't able to control the game at all. Um, at halftime of this game, we outshot them 15 to zero. 15 to zero. Um, and like, I think they only wound up with two shots in the game, and one of the, or six shots in the game, and one of them should have been offside. <laughs> so it should have been five. Yeah. Um, it was a thoroughly dominating performance. But the, the interesting thing in the first half, Clive, it has been a long time, a very, very long time since you could say that Arsenal had the best midfield in the Premier League. And I would submit that we've had some excellent midfielders along the way, but that midfield has consistently been a disappointing area of the pitch since the Invincibles in terms of the completeness of that group. I think maybe there was some concern that we were headed down that road again this season when Kai got off to a shaky start and we had lost Shaka. But I think in this game, the way that the trio pressed, the way they created different dynamics, Kai arriving on the end of moves, Odegaard pulling every string, Declan Rice covering every blade of grass, I, I, I really believe this trio has ascended to be the best midfield in the Premier League. And I think we owe a lot of the, the first half dominance and the overall dominance of this game to the midfield. I mean, do you... Do you agree that now that trio looks really locked in as as the premier group? Well, football can kick you in the backside very quickly, and someone else can appear. But sure. to, you know, as soon as you first saw the three twenty four year olds, you could see the future, right? So, and that is the future, and that's what he bought. He bought two players. Everyone's talking about Liverpool 2.0, but we have rebuilt our midfield as well. Some of that might have been accelerated by Thomas Partey's injury, but. We have rebuilt our midfield, and no one really talks about it that way. They talk about one person, really, and one person failing, and what another person maybe a little bit out of form. But when you see them all on form, then you can start to see what we saw at the weekend. I will say, Elliot, though, I tra- I t- I'm changing, I'll say changing, I'm looking at football slightly differently these days, because what's unique about this team is I think we have 11 midfielders, and I include a goalkeeper in that. We have 11 people with midfielder attributes, you know, and and part of being a midfielder is they all know how to attack and they all know how to defend. And that's the unique thing about this team. When they want to attack, they can attack in any zone they want to. But when they defend, they, de- they defend as a collective unit. So you're almost building a team of 11 midfielders, but maybe some of those midfielders are happier in certain attacking parts of the box you know so I, I feel I feel strongly that's the way so I feel strongly that's the way football's going I mean because Guardiola did this years ago with with, with false nines etc but we're really doing this now you know when you see Gabriel on the right wing you know he's happy positioning himself there because he can look after the ball you know and uh this isn't this isn't no disrespect this isn't Sol Campbell do you see what I mean when he was late in his latter years He's happy out there. He's happy looking after it, putting his studs on the ball and rolling it back to a right back who used to be a centre back a little while ago and has played in centre midfield. You know, and it's just like super athletes that are really comfortable in all parts of the pitch. And we want them to think and be like midfielders. So when they 
But when they push into defensive areas, they defend properly. And when they go into attacking areas, they, they attack properly. But it's hard not to see. When you, when you write your team sheet down, we have three in midfield, we have a six and two eights, or a six and a second midfielder, and a third midfielder who's more a 10-8 and one's more of an 8-10. It doesn't really matter. As long as they are comfortable with the ball and know their role. So the profile difference between Odegaard, who was super ball dominant on this day, Declan Rice, who was super attentive on the central access and making sure it didn't happen, and Kai Havertz, who was just a just rocking the ball off, rocking the ball off and looking for spaces and creating spaces for other people to run through. When you see that balance, you see Havertz pop into the top line on occasion and look fine. Jesus drops in. You start to see the mechanics of, the, of Arteta football. Honestly, Elliot, I'm not sure if you watched the whole game again yet. I haven't. I watched pieces. It looked like perfection on the day. Absolute perfection. You know, and uh, it's definitely one for people who haven't seen the full 90 who listen to this podcast and know what we what we're like when we talk about football? This is the game to rewatch, if more than any other I've seen. Mm, yeah, I I mean it. It was so good in in some areas. Now uh, we'll we'll get to Odegaard and Havertz and and Rice maybe more specifically because um, they were brilliant. But I I do want to talk a little bit about the challenges turning some of the dominance and some of the turnovers into goals. There were chances missed, but I think even more than chances missed, there were opportunities to create better chances missed. And sometimes I think players took shots when a teammate was available, and sometimes I think they were hesitant to take a shot mm-hmm. when the shot was on. So it just kind of resulted in not converting the dominance to goals. And in some instances, I think we're just unlucky. You know, you you look at the City game, Martinelli hits a shot in someone's face and it's a goal. Yeah. And you look at this game, the number of times the ball bounced around in the box and just eluded a player, didn't fall to the player, didn't Did you, you feel know, did you feel the way that the, there was like a I kept thinking, was there a villain? Was there a was there a chance we thought, oh my god, he that player had to have scored there? Did you get that feeling? Or did you just feel it was slightly edgy execution or defenders blocked off half the goal, got there late? And the Martinelli one, the defender got there, didn't he? Uh, the Martinelli one I thought was a huge miss, but wasn't. when I looked at it again, it was behind him a bit. I don't think he could and get the defender was there, wasn't he? Defender read it. Defender read yeah. it. And it was there. Yeah. So it felt bigger in the ground. When I rewatched it, that's barely a chance. You know, the defender blocked him off, right? So I was wondering what you thought. The, the, the Martinelli thing is interesting because I thought Martinelli had an excellent second half. I thought he had a poor first half, but I'll say it this way. I think he is he was almost our most important player in this game in some ways because of how many times he beat his man and how many times he hit 13 crosses and beat his man. He put in good corners, by the way. But in the first half in particular, I just think this is the best way I can sum up Martinelli this season and in the first half. I I think he has to do better in higher le- in high leverage moments. I think he'll beat a man, then he'll try to beat a man again. He'll get to the byline and the cross too often is not as good as it could be. I, I do think it's interesting because he's so good at getting to the byline and I feel like he can get there anytime he wants. He's then putting in crosses with his left, where I think his delivery is much better is when he can cut inside and get it on his right. He can swing it out to sack or curl it. He's great at that. Um, He put it on Havertz's head once, right, with the, I think it was a right-footed cross. I wish he and Saka would sometimes switch because I think what a different, I mean, can you imagine Milner suddenly having to go to Martinelli's straight line burst and then Martinelli can cross with his right from the byline, but how do you think about the Martinelli performance? Because obviously we all want to see him score a few more goals and get a few more assists this season. And in the second half, I think he improved. But 
he does have to do, I think, better at this point in some of the high leverage moments when he beats a man or when he gets into space in the attacking third. Yeah, so I had a little look at this to this morning just from little rewatches I did. And the way the game went, Elliot, we were very right side centric at the start of the game. And I hadn't realized that Milner was playing left back. If I'd have known that, I'd have known why. <laughs> right? So he's 36, playing on his wrong foot. They probably got him on his right foot. Obviously, when Saka comes inside, he's on his right foot. So that helps him. But we kept punishing that side. I kept thinking, wow, we're really going for it. And But Martinelli needs to be there and needs to be positionally disciplined to hold the spaces in the in the back line so we create chances. So he may not be touching the ball as much in particularly in the first phase of the game, but what he does, he travels inside to get on the end of things. And I quite like that about him. So I know people are looking for things to critique about. When you see Martinelli and Saka, their their shot selection, for me, is how they're addressing the ball. I think they're a little bit snatchy. I think they're taking things a bit soon. I think how they are dressing and stride patterning into the ball isn't as composed as it once was. They are snatching a little bit. Again, it's just practice and repetition and relaxing. You know, I don't see it as an issue. Watching Saka curl that one in against Forest on the first day, everything about that said it was going in the net by the way he approached the ball. And he's having a lot of these shots now. He's scuffing them. They're going past the near post. Same player, right? Same player. Knows what to do. Just needs to get one. Needs to address the ball correctly and it's going in the top corner again. Same for Martinelli. I'd like to see Martinelli focus a bit more on banging shots on that right, left-hand side on his right foot. And his crossing was okay in this game. I think, I think like most teams, what they're suddenly doing sometimes, they, you have a choice, right? Sometimes they go out there and smash you two and one in, in wide areas. Sometimes they say, you know what, you've you got us there. Let's focus on our position in the middle. So you've got no lanes to cross it to. So we see the excitement of the, of the winger going past the player. And when he doesn't find somebody, we think, oh no, we're, our execution is poor. Actually, sometimes they're letting you have that one-on-one. Yeah, you can beat him. We can put you under enough stress so you can't pick somebody out. We're going to make sure we stand in all the places we need to stand to make sure you can't score from a position of maximum opportunity. And that's what teams are doing. Um, Brentford did it to us, you know, and um, and they did it quite well. They didn't overcommit, particularly if they were a little bit tired from the Thursday game. So I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned at all. I, I really not. I, I want it to change, but we're winning games, and they're not peak yet. They're not peak sharp. But imagine when they do get peak sharp, you know. So to keep a little bit back is, is okay, isn't it? And we're sitting there top. Do you know what I mean? So keep a bit back because then when we there's so many games to come, so many really important games to come, and and, the, and Martelli will have his moment really quickly. Maybe on Saturday night, you never know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, look, we had 11 high turnovers that mm. we forced against Brighton. Those are turnovers within the 40 yard radius of the goal. Those are the ones that are really dangerous and and tend to lead to goals when yeah. you get them. 11 is a lot. We only turned three of them into shots, yeah. let alone goals. So I, I do think while the while the pressing was brilliant and the turnovers were created are great, that has to be converted into shots and goals at a higher rate. Only because, you know, look, we're not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but pa- I thought Pascal Gross had scored. I thought that was flying. Yeah, I thought And I'm I'm getting ready to hold my hands and saying, How is this a one one game? Yeah. But just like that, all your hopes and dreams flash before your eyes. And what we what we're describing is one of our best performances ever under Mikel was that close to being level and us trying to chase a late winner again? And I I just think, you know, and as we saw with Villa in particular, when you get into those positions, if you don't execute, 
then you have a real problem. I'm happy for Gabriel Jesus that he's on the score sheet again because I know there's a lot of focus on do we need that goal-scoring striker? And what I love about it is it wasn't all the tricks and flicks and dribbles and creation. It's a header at the back post on a corner. Now, the marking is non-existent. He's not marked. But just super quickly, Clive, I think he's scoring goals. And he's not just scoring Gabriel Jesus goals, to put it in quotes. He's scoring what we regard as target man striker goals, right? So uh, good for him and good for us to see that going. Yeah, and I thought it was quite ironic. For all the beautiful play, the the turnovers, the, the transitions, I mean, the the weight of attack, it just turned out to be a corner where they're, they're sent a half flicks on and he sweeps around the back post and heads in. And um, it just shows you that even though, you know, we are still focused on how we play on the ball, etc., the focus on set pieces is as important, you know, to differentiate. Everything calms down at that moment. So I, it's, it's good for him. I didn't really, in the, in the stadium, I didn't really realise how well he played, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> you know, you sort of, you see certain people, you couldn't miss Odegaard, mm-hmm. you just couldn't miss him. He was all over the place. But Jesus, you know, I didn't see him. And I heard on the podcast this morning that he actually didn't lose the ball once in the game. So, and that, that mm. is incredible. You know, so, so yeah, maybe I misread him, but I, I just don't worry about him. When he plays, he's so intelligent. He fits what we're trying to do. An example of a midfielder, another midfielder in our team, but he happens to be a midfielder we put responsibility to score goals in. Now, when he gets the ball, he flicked one pass, Dunk. You can see Dunk's soul leave his, leave his body, you know. Havertz pops into him, he turns him around. I mean, I don't know what that was, you know, and uh, and, he's, and we're breaking free again, right? And so it's, it's just, he's lovely. That's a stunning move. Yeah, yeah. he's just lovely. To, I, I, I still don't know what he did, but he um, he made to execute it and, and we're off and running and we just expect that from him now, don't we? We just expect that from him. And so the expectations rise and now we expect him to be scoring more. I think if there's a if there's a worry I have, it's not the fact that he's not good enough. If I could just put him in some sort of oxygen chamber so he's fresh every three days when the when the when the fixtures become compressed, that's my issue because sometimes you can see the fatigue in him when the fixtures become too regular, and that's the risk that we carry, and that's why people are probably looking at another forward to come in, depending on what Twitter rumor you fancy reading at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about Declan Rice. Cause I, I, I don't want to wait to do this. I mean, he is, he is playing like not just the best midfielder, but maybe the best player in the league. He, what everything he's doing is at a, at a totally new level. And it, it, it's so rare that you sign someone for this amount of money and there's just no debate or discussion around it at all. I mean, Erling Holland, I guess would be another one, but I can't think of too many players in this price bracket where there has just not been any, not just not question, like no drama. There's just nothing. He plays in this game. He had that, you know, that driving run that led to a shot. One of those, fuck it, I'll do it myself kind of moments. Um, The way he recovers the ball, he, what we kind of did is we tap, we overburden him in a sense, because what we do with our press is we, we cut out all the passing lanes, you know, at both flanks and up against keeper, or whatever, but we have him cover the entire center area. Yeah. And he can. He can cover the entire center area. And he doesn't lose the ball, and he recovers it a ton, and he has that physical presence to keep people from feeling like they can dominate us in the middle of the park. And he provides a platform for Odegaard and Kai Havertz to go do what they do. And I thought Odegaard was brilliant as well. We'll come to that. But like, and then you find out he was a big doubt for this game with illness. Yeah. 
and there's just no doubt because he's going to play and he's going to play exceptionally well. I, it gets a little bit tiring, I think, sometimes just keeping praise on a player because you can start to roll your eyes and be like, we get it, he's good. But I don't know what else to say because even late in this game, when it was just 1-0, you know, the number of times he's just taking the ball off people and carrying it forward out of trouble, it gives you so much comfort. And we just haven't had anything like this in a long time. Yeah, he's, he's hard to miss, right? Um, he had three of those driving runs. So one, he drove in and popped off to Saka where maybe he could have flicked to his left and slotted it. Another one, when he drove in, Odegaard took it off his toes. He's thinking, mate, he's running downhill, leave him alone. You know, and then towards late in the half when he gets the ball on the our left hand side, he sees it into feet, just pop pop round the corner and he's just running in. And uh, this time he did take it himself and take the shot and but he's almost like a defensive joystick. He sits there surveying all that's in front of him and then he decides when he's gonna punch out of his hole and go and nick it. And when he nicks it, he nicks it so clean, you know, without giving a foul away, which is really skillful. He can you know, he doesn't he doesn't wait to play off a player's touch. He just takes it. He, he reads them what they want to do and goes to their weak side and takes the ball. You know, he's very, very clever with that. And then he accelerates the game. So he creates a transition with his movement. And, and if he has to, he just gets us going. So we are a team that needs to flow through. So we're a flow-based team. And so when you when he can take a tackle and turn it into almost like a counter, like a mini counter-attack. And that's, that's exactly what we want because our players switch on immediately. They all go, bang, give it to me, bang. It's all like combined combination and we're in. It's very precise. It's all timing-based. And we've, got, we've grown used to it. And so when we don't see it working, we, uh, we didn't work all the time in this game because, as you said, we had lots of high turnovers and we just bungled it a little bit. You know, didn't quite get the shot, didn't quite get the touch. And it, but he sort of... I just don't worry about it now when we got the points. However, we didn't get the point. We didn't get the full points against Spurs, did we? When we had a high turnover and Jesus kicked over the bar. We didn't get the points. And we still remember that chance, didn't we? And that was the last time we started talking about centre forwards. And so, yeah, Rice just surveys, controls. It'd be interesting to see what happens when Party comes back, if he comes back. Because. Rice has unlocked another layer in this team, a different way of playing. We were more possession-based, slightly deeper. We needed a skill, we needed a high-risk guy to attract people on, and then we break through. You know, and then we so that high-risk guy can lose it twice out of ten, and we remember them all. You know what I mean? Because we can see the goal. And um, but we all the times he broke through, and then we were one-on-one in wide areas, and everyone saying how exciting we were. And now we do it differently. Sometimes we control it and we go into a 2-3 or he drops into the back line and we progress into wide areas very early. Or we nick it in transition. We nick it out of possession and him and Havertz and Odegaard are very smart, not just in the first contact and winning the ball, but creating the three passes that we need to get into shape. And that's key because that's what sustain attacks. Not just winning it, but keeping it. And Rice is brilliant at that. That first pass out of danger, he's really, really good at it. So um, he's transformed us, Elliot. He's transformed how we look. He's transformed our out-of-possession priorities and made us a team which is far more rounded than last year's team. Yeah, I just feel secure when he's there. Um, And it's interesting, right? Because in my mind, I thought the real challenge for Declan Rice is going to be playing our football coming from having played Moises' football. Can I tell you something I think is crazy? I think he did struggle to play our football at first. 
but he's so good at all the other stuff that we hardly noticed it. But now the comfort he has to carry, to progress the ball. Holy cow, Clive, like it's, it's gone up another level. And so I think if I look at early Arsenal, early Declan Rice at Arsenal performances, of course he was covering ground and recovering yeah. the ball, but he was keeping it safe. He was going back to Saliba, right? He was, he was doing those sort of things. Look at where his passes are going now. I mean, now his passes are, in fact, I'll tell you this. He had, what, 54 of 59 passes. So he's 91% passing, right? But, you know, nine of them are final third entries. Nine of them are progressive passes. You know, if you look at where he passes the ball and what he's doing, it's most of his touches are in the attacking third. He had 66 touches in this game. 29 of them came in the attacking third. So I, I think we're seeing him layer on a progressiveness to his game and an adventurousness to his game without costing any of the security. It's really impressive. And where he's developing a really interesting dynamic is Odegaard. I think we've made a tweak in the first phase of buildup. Odegaard's now coming and sometimes dropping in between the center backs or dropping all the way back to create a box with Rice yeah. and Saliba and Gabriel. And it's very interesting. He's getting his foot on the ball earlier in moves. I, I thought this was a brilliant Odegaard performance. And to some extent, Clive, I think... Saka's our best player. Martinelli is our spark plug. But I think the performance of our attack can be measured by the performance of Odegaard. And when he's at that level, they all go up a level because he's such a facilitator. So I think he, he's the starting point. Do, do you notice anything different, though, in how deep he's dropping to pick up the ball or, or where he's operating to get his foot on the ball earlier in moves? And he just looks so much more free and comfortable. Maybe the hip thing was the... The issue all along, actually. Well, you can't help but think that, can't you? I mean, I, I, you, you can't help. I remember Matt was talking to you in the in the day review saying he's injured. He was very adamant about it. And you've only got to look at his performance and think, well, where's this player gone? He wasn't, he didn't lose form, did he? <laughs> I mean, he, he just, um, he just wasn't moving the same way. And it's as simple as that. He was not yeah. moving the same way. He didn't look didn't look comfortable, and um, and we played him for it until, funny enough, maybe the concussion, which cost us maybe Newcastle, because he was ready to play in that game, but maybe it gave him the break that he needed. You know, it was, it was enforced. Maybe, I don't think we shouldn't have lost Newcastle anyway, but we definitely wouldn't have lost if he was playing. And um, and so it maybe cost us a couple of points there. And um, But look what we're getting now. It's he, he's to, total domination. So much like... Rice is really defining us in our off-the-ball approach and emphasis. Odegaard is just re-establishing his, that he is the on-the-ball leader of this team when we are attacking creative-wise. I mean, he just he just manipulates the ball and creates angles, and and that creates you the, the movement. And people can read the angles in this team. They're smart players, right? They're very intelligent. And he does it. On the last goal, once he gets a slip pass from Trossard, no touch turn around the corner. And Havertz makes a great run into the channel. But he selects Eddie because he knows the final pass needs to happen. And Havertz should get the final pass. And that's a guy that understands build-up. So going, so Havertz drags people to one side. So give it to the freer man. Not the guy that's got on the run. Because what will happen is they'll catch Havertz and he has to check back out. Give it to Eddie in free space. And then they have to get up to Havertz and they couldn't get there in time and he, he has three excellent touches and slots it. That's someone that understands football completely and when we were talking about our attack clicking earlier on, part of it was personnel availability and part of it was personnel fitness and, and form, wasn't it? And I think he was in both of those camps, shall we say, for a period of time but he's back mm -hmm. now, he's back now.
it's interesting. I mean, you you look at where he's touching the ball and like he had 10 touches in the defensive third, 20 in the middle third. That's not much different than Declan Rice. Um, not that much different than Zinchenko. So I think he's getting on the ball earlier. He led us in carries. He also had four successful take-ons. And in terms of the final ball, I don't think it was always perfect. The one thing I wish, I wish he'd strike the ball with his weaker foot sometime because I think he missed first time. He needs to go at goal. Yeah, first time on his right foot. He's got to take yeah, it. First, he I takes on his left foot first yeah. time. When he's right, when he comes to his right foot, he wants to have a touch. You know, and he wants to have a touch yeah. and, and assess the area. So, but look how many times he's getting there, right? He just... He was after a birthday present, wasn't he? He was after a goal. He's never got it. He had a couple of sensational balls to Saka too. One that he sort of swerved yeah. into Saka's path, like through the defenders. And then that scooped one that he did. Yeah, I mean, the, oh, man. it was, it was so, ooh and so our much time. creativity and venomous. It was ooh and our time mm-hmm. in the stadium, yeah. man. When the, I, I've been in the north corner, so I was standing, sitting behind that, and he just curled it round. And you thought, did that actually happen? And then the ball sort of stops, and um yeah, some of the play was like I say, it, it was foot perfect stuff. And um, I think to, when people say about the tweak, to give you a sense of the dominance. Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Okay, when people say about the tweak, I think there's a. I don't know. I, I get caught in this right sometimes because you don't know how much is prescribed or what you feel. But because Havertz is happy as in the middle of the three of them, but also being the guy as a striker. They sort of take movement from each other. So if Havertz is high, Odegaard naturally comes deep. Is that uh, is that a um, a principle or is that an instruction that I want you to be deeper for this part of the game? I, I don't really mind, as long as they can do it and we look good and uh, and we look good, you know. And um, I don't think I'm not sure how much we use Havertz straight from Raya, you know, as a, as a big big boy contact, you know, straight from the keeper. I haven't got that clear in my head. But Odegaard definitely was very mobile, either being high, being low, and they just punched. They just punched on the seesaw, mate, and and, and it looked really, really good, really good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just to give you a sense of the dominance, um, we, they had thirteen touches in the attacking penalty area. Akayo Saka had fifteen touches in the attacking penalty area. We had fifty-six of them. Um, just a tremendous, tremendous performance in terms of controlling space and preventing them from getting out. Odegaard had eight of those touches in the attack and penalty area, by the way. I mean, he he really covered the pitch. And I will say this, when everybody else came off, you know, Saka did look shattered. He gave way to Reese Nelson late. Martinelli had run his race. Jesus, I think, came off at just the right time. We'll yeah. talk about the subs in a minute. Odegaard and Rice stayed on. A sick Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard. And I'm telling you, late in that game, Martin Odegaard was chasing across the pitch to press and chasing back to recover. He His engine, you know, when we think about these technical players, like a look at um, Bruno Fernandes. And while I hate him, and I think he's a bit rat-faced, he's a very, very good player. Yeah, United would be nothing without him. Um, but he is a player who plays in the areas he wants to play and plays for himself. Yeah. And you look at the difference between him and Martin Odegaard, and I wouldn't trade them in a million years, a million days, weeks of Sundays or whatever they say, because while I think Bruno has some of the final third skill that Odegaard has, and and even if you want to say he's a match for him in some ways, he does not cover the pitch. He does not play for his teammates. He does not have that engine. And I, I think it's a it's an underrated part of that's a, Odegaard's that's, game. That's a, that's, a, um, that's a really good point, yeah. Elliot. And again... Something about this performance is with the, for that, particularly that first eleven. I see, I see no egos at all. They would carry water for each other immediately. 
You know what I mean? When someone's out, it's a sprint to get in to cover their spot for them. There's zero ego, and it's just the psychological balance of the group is just really, really good. He, we, I really want to emphasize this because when something's not right, we we know, we, we can spot it, you know. When it's so right and you see how this team has been built, every single Arteta principal was on, was on show and shown in its best form, you know. But this is a 4-0 game, 3-0 minimum, minimum, but 4-0 was probably fair, you know. And um, But maybe it gives us something to work on for the weekend because I think this game on Saturday is really important. Yeah, of course. And, you know, for what it's worth, this isn't a game necessarily to talk about the defenders because we hardly did need defending. But I think when you go up against these big, eye-catching star strikers and you don't even see them, you don't even notice them, you have to give credit to the defenders even if they it doesn't look like they're doing it because Brighton couldn't find Evan Ferguson. Evan Ferguson had no shots, created no shots. Yeah. He just was not a factor in the game and he left the pitch having having done nothing. Um and by the way, like it's not just Evan Ferguson. We've seen Erling Holland have games like that against this duo. Like I think they they just take those players out of the game and make them hard to find, and then they get discouraged, and then they're they're done. And he was done. I want to talk about the subs. I think the subs, and it will lead to a conversation about Kai because the subs obviously create the goal for yeah. Kai. So I think that's an important conversation that we should get to. Um, of course, you know, can't have that conversation without telling you that. We are partnered with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a food delivery service. What is it? You get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You skip trips to the grocery store and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And in fact, as far as America goes, it's the number one meal kit. Um, there's a couple of things that, that I like about this. First of all, look, as someone who has two kids, who works, who does stuff in and out of the house, life is hard, hectic, stressful. Figuring out what to make is a pain in the neck, then shopping for the groceries to make it is a pain in the neck, and as a result, you wind up doing things like picking up fast food or door dashing or whatever it is, ordering in Postmates, whatever, and that gets expensive, and you're eating unhealthy food. The nice thing is, this is just stress-free. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You get tasty, fresh ingredients that allow you to have a, a you know, um, a varied meal plan, right? So you can have different kinds of food. You're not eating the same thing all the time. There, you know. You, you can have a wholesome diet and there's even 15-minute meals on their meal plan. Um, they have over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-on items to choose from every week. So it's easier never to find something that everyone will enjoy. Like I said, life can be really, really tough and it just is, I, I think, having someone that takes off your plate, so to speak, needing a grocery shop and needing to plan meals is the way to go. And so you can go to hellofresh.com slash arsenalvisionfree and use code ARSENALVISIONFREE for free breakfast for life. Hmm. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. So that's free breakfast for the life of your subscription at HelloFresh.com slash ARSENALVISIONFREE with code ARSENALVISIONFREE. That's HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. And once you're eating right, you have all the fuel in your body that you need to build your business right. And if you want to build your business right, then you need the hiring partner that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And that is, my friends, Indeed. Look, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Why on earth would you have 10 subscriptions to 10 sites and have to manage 10 emails and 10 candidate checks? We do one. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global visitors. It finds you candidates fast. 
Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. That's really what it's about. Right? You don't care if you get matches. You need high quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed also is that you're not paying for stuff you don't need. You only pay for candidates that meet your must-have requirements. And I think that means that you get better value. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. And listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. By the way, that's BlueWire all in word. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and disapply. Need Indeed. You need Indeed. You need indeed. You need indeed. Glad. Done for that. Indeed. Got it. Okay. Um. So let's let's talk subs. You know what's interesting? We do these instant reaction pods, and um, I I, I love doing them because it, it gives you a chance to sort of get the more emotional response out there, and the thing that really sticks with you in that moment. And while I love being analytical analytical with you. Um, I also love that emotional response because I was feeling very emotional. I was very connected to the players. Mm. I didn't give someone a stock rising who probably deserves it maybe more than anyone on this day. And that's Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta has brought us to this point where we play this football, where we can take a Brighton who are sometimes deserves Brighton has been called the best buildup play in world football. That might be a hyperbole, but it's been called that. And we completely stymie it, shut them down from being able to create anything, destroy their football. And then you know, I remember one season into Mikel's tenure, we'd be like, well, you know, maybe subs or something he's going to have to learn. And maybe that was silly, but I think he's gotten so good at understanding when to change games and how the subs changed this game. Trissard was involved in the buildup. Nketiah was involved in the buildup. Kai finishes it off. I thought the subs came in with the right energy for the right players that were flagging at the right point in the game. They made the game safe. So I think Mikel deserves a, a some of his flowers, as the kids say, a little bit of a pat on the back for this being the apotheosis of the football he wants us to play, him making all the right in-game changes, and his subs influencing the game, I think, in a really significant way, including, let's not overlook, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, who strikes a volley beautifully, looked spry and lively, and the way Mikel is talking about Smith-Rowe is not like he was six months ago. Well, he's going to need to try, he's going to need to apply himself. He's gonna... Now he's talking in more unqualified ways about the energy and the effort he's giving and how he's close. So, a good day for Mikel and a great day for the changes he made that that won him the game. Yeah, I think so. In in, in the ground, um, I was um, I was looking at Zinchenko. If I'm honest with you, Elliot, I know what he's like late in games. It was still one nil for far longer than I wanted it to be, and uh, he gave a couple of passes away. I'm thinking, here we go. You know, he's off, and so I, a natural worry as a as we're all a little bit geeky about certain things that happen certain points of the game that other fans wouldn't see. I was a bit worried about that, and I thought Keyville could have come a little bit earlier. But um, the rest are fine, and the Haylanders, the finishers, as we as I call them, as we call them, um, they they know what they're doing, don't they? They they know what they're doing. There is a there is a raising level in the group that there, there really is. There's a there's a because le- you know Brian are good, right? You know they, we mm-hmm. caught them at a good time, but let's not mess about. They're a good side, you know, and they play football properly and. We just raised the level on them. I was there in a 3-0 game and, okay, different times, different psychological emotions involved, etc. But they killed us, man. They killed us on the day. But in that game, we did a lot of the same high pressing and high turnovers at the start of the game and we didn't take our chances. Then conceded and then the game ran away from us because emotionally we couldn't couldn't overcome them. This game, we kept going, we kept going, we kept going, we kept putting their technique under pressure. We kept 
we kept on top of them. We gave them nothing, nothing in the one-on-ones. I remember that game last year. Brighton were incredibly physical in the duels. Kaiseido was massive. They were smashing into us, and they they outdueled us. In this game, I thought we outdueled them significantly. And when the subs came on, <clears throat> we just see more of the same. We see more of the same. I thought Eddie was fine. Um, the weight of his pass for Kai's goal was perfect, by the way. Absolutely perfect. That's not easy. You know, that's not easy. When you see he all those drills... He also picked the harder and, pass. Because yeah, Saka yeah. was wide open on the right. He could have just played it to Saka. No one would have had a, an argument. But that's a much harder one to turn into a goal. Yeah, he, he, it, was, it was crisp, mate. It was crisp. Um, and, you know, we've seen those inside training drills and they're kicking the balls into those small goals. That's the accuracy, what they're looking for, and those things like that. And the accuracy was perfect. Weight of pass was perfect. Um, so he was fine. As we throw again, he's a player that's working his way back in slowly and getting more minutes slowly. Um, we'll see. I think we'll see a bit more of him <clears throat> later in January when the FA Cup kicks off. So we'll soon know. There are rumours of lots of teams looking at our players on the fringes. So let's see what happens. I think January could be such an interesting month. We don't know the plan yet, but it'll no doubt come come to our minds when the right tweet hits our inboxes, right? So, um, and so, yeah, it's um, it's one to watch there. And again, like Nelson getting a bit of time and using him appropriately. Saka made one lung-busting run in late in the game, about minute seventy odd, and you could see from that moment. He was he was done, you know. The tank was empty, so rather than just see him trudge around, just get him out, you know. And that's what Reese has earned that for his European show, right? So get him out quick. Let someone come in with the energy to make sure we can double up in wide areas because their most dangerous attacker was on was on that side, and Saka was not getting back. So make the change and make sure we secure the result, and we and we did that. So it's all good. Yeah. I- the thing about Eddie, right? I almost love what he did for Kai's goal more than had he tapped one in himself. Like, mm. I know what he can do around the box with an opportunity. He doesn't always finish it. No one finishes them all, but I think he's pretty good there. The timing of his delivery, the reluctance to give it on time, making the safe pass or taking the selfish option, those are things that I've sometimes associated with Eddie. And yeah. to his absolute credit, that pass is on time, the right one, disguised well. Kai finishes it. It is a beautiful moment. Trissard does well in the build-up to it. There's so many nice little bits of play in there. And what I liked is we had started to sink a little deeper, but this didn't feel like sometimes at Arsenal when we'd start to sink deeper and it was like, oh, great, now they've had 20 shots and they're battering us. Yeah. We held them at arm's length. We were still controlling the game. Um, and Kai finishes it. And Clive... I'm sorry, don't look now, but Kai Havertz is absolutely a critical part of what I would regard as our first 11. You know, there were debates about should it be Party and and um, Rice when Party's back? Should it be Jorginho and Rice, which we used? Should it be Trissard in there? You know, is Havertz just a nine? I was starting to lose some faith in it. Mikel certainly did not. And he's now not just getting goals, he's contributing important moments in ball recoveries. He he has this nonchalant physicality about him where he'll shithouse someone or barge through them or take the ball off them, but he doesn't, he never looks emotionally fired up, so it's like this weird thing. He's a very physical player who doesn't look like he can be arsed, but he's all over the pitch. I thought it was another really good performance and I mean, I'm sorry, but for these big trips to places like Anfield where we once upon a time might have been saying, you gotta go Jorginho and Rice or you gotta go, you know, too bad we don't have party. Kai is one of the names I'm writing in 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 pen and in ink on the team sheet right now. It's it's a very very nice development. 
Yeah, his again, his uh, ability to read the second ball uh, is really good. Again, Elliot, I know you've listened to me for a while now, but the, <laughs> when we win the ball, to get to that three passes is so important. And he's so simplistic. On If he gets the first pass, the next pass, the picture's already there. And you think, oh, well, that's, that's pretty conservative. But he, did, he does it in one, just off in one, and then we can break out. And then our wide sprinters get on, they get on the go. And then, but we need those first two or three passes to get into shape. And he's so good at that. He's so good at being a target. So when Odegaard gets it, he wants to play a little short pass. Could have a smart player near him. It's going to be there for a wall, you know? And he's just there, bounce it off me. A new shape appears. And Odegaard looks beautiful spraying the ball out. But Kai's the one that reads the stress of his, of his midfield partners and shows himself. He rolls away from people. So nonchalant. I mean, how can you miss him? He's six foot four. How can you miss him? But no one can seem to get near his feet. And then it's gone. And then it's gone. Then he's gone. Then it becomes a run. And he can run. You know, it becomes a can you run with me? I mean, he played the midweek game and he scores in the last you know, last five minutes of this game. He's a fit boy, he's a mouth and runner, he's a fit lad. And um and we're still learning about him, aren't we? There are things that I'm sure he's got an edge of the air a shot in him. You know, I'm sure he can he can dummy shift to his left and cross shot it from left, you know, from left to right. He's got that shot in him. He, I've seen him score from the right, you know, the Odegaard zone. You should say from that side. I've seen him score for for Germany. I've seen him score for Chelsea against us. I'm afraid. Um, so I know he can do that. But from the left, he's got to get that left foot shot across the keeper. That's that's in there. A bit more venom in that shot. You know, he, he's he's got he's got a lot, mate. He's got a lot and so much left to see. And that's the interesting thing. And more importantly, when the ball gets turned over, his reaction time is super sharp both ways. So to show on attack, but to get there on defense, you know, it's so quick, so quick. And then he keeps it, which is really good. And it is crazy. Think about where we have the ball. We, we don't have the ball in our defensive third a lot. He certainly doesn't. Kai Havertz played 30 passes. He completed 29 of them. Gabriel Jesus, 37 passes, completed 36 of them. Martin Odegaard, 59 passes. Those passes, those are hard passes and hard areas, 55 of them. Declan Rice, 59 passes, 54 of them. You're talking about guys passing at 93, 94, 96, 97%. William Saliba, 64 of 67. Again, 95.5% passing. 10 ball recoveries, right? I mean, he just... These players are doing the hard stuff at a high level and making it look easy. And I, it's not easy. Um, I don't think we need to go into it in big detail, Clive. Um, David Raya, like, if you are inclined to look at David Raya as a liability, you could find two moments, I think, in this game where you could be a bit worried. He was near post cross that he almost didn't claim the first time. He claimed it the second I saw time. That. <laughs> that, you know, let's face it, that as a short guy, I know when short guys are doing short guy stuff, that was short guy stuff. And then he had one pass out that was a little dodgy. But look, I don't think it's a day for focusing on the keeper, but it's fine. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on on his role what I, if you wanted to focus on him you could say he had the ball at his feet a lot in very weird positions outside his penalty area playing like he was in the back line and he's very comfortable doing that and that's an important part of how we build play so he did that and did that well I, I think um yeah what what struck me in the ground was how man to man this game was and we had a man i said the word 11 midfielders earlier i didn't say 10 i said 11 uh, and I meant that. And he was the extra man, wasn't he? 
there's the X amount, and that makes a difference. That makes people just freeze for a second, think, and someone else drops in and takes the ball, and we're off. You know, and so yeah, I'm finding <laughs> the guys I sit next to in the ground. They mm. they're not sure about they're not sure about Raya. So it's heart attack time when he pushed that ball up in the air. Uh, so that's quite funny I, at the I, moment. Look, I, if you're inclined to think it that way, by the way, I I can't blame you. He had 34 touches in this game, 21 of them outside of his penalty area. So that's incredible. You know he's he's playing a role that is unique, and I think he's doing okay with it. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say I learned anything about David Ryan in this game, so I don't think it's worth it. I think I, do, I will say of, I will say on the on the numbers that you've quoted the high ninety percentile numbers on passing, they can all pass the ball, mate. They can all pass it, but if you haven't got teammates moving into space to receive it, then your passing numbers drop, and you have to take bigger gambles and go longer. Then you're then you're going longer into fight balls. You create fight balls. Your percentage passes goes down. That those percentage numbers tell that tells you Elliot how we're moving across that pitch, how the, the cohesion by which we're moving. The old Ben White to Saka in you know, that little inverted pass he plays, that happened multiple times this game again. You know, they was they was they were completely on point of each other, and that's why the numbers look so good. And by the way, you know, this was a 50-50 possession game. You say, how is that possible? It's sort of like what the United game was at the Emirates. They had a lot of the ball, they just couldn't get anywhere with it. They had 137 touches in their defensive penalty area. Mm, <laughs> we had incredible. 24, right? 137. 322 touches in their defensive third. So, they, yeah, they had 50% possession. Look where it was. It, they couldn't go anywhere with it. It's really, really well done. I think we can draw a line under this game and simply say it is a sign of the phenomenal football we are playing, but if you are inclined to want to say there's some things we need to iron out, in final in last action, I still think that's there for you if you want to see it. Um, but some of the players are are coming into the absolute best form at the absolute best time. I mean, maybe the best time would be four months from now, but second second best time. Um, great day for Mikel. He gets a yellow card again. Clive, we haven't talked referee. I would love to not talk referee. So are you okay if we just allied that and head on to Liverpool United for a minute? I can do if you want to, but it was quite funny. <laughs> Let's I not do it then. I can explain no, to you what happened, but I think everyone knows what happened. It, everyone it knows. Was, Let's skip it. it. I think it's really funny. Kel gave the answer. He said, I was waving to Martinelli, and then he walked off set. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk refereeing, the funny refereeing was Michael Oliver deciding he wants to be the star of the show and double booking Dallow. But the thing I'll say about the Liverpool United game, it was interesting watching it because – Liverpool were obviously. Can I say? Can I say one times? thing on the referees before you move on? Yeah, please. The, the gap between referees and the players and the coaches is getting wider. Yeah, referees are sure. they're not understanding the game, so I quite happily. I'm telling you now, I'm holding my hand up and saying to you all, watching that game was like watching another sport. You know, let's not to, let's compare to the Invincibles. I don't care anyone says this is another sport. This is a, this is an evolution of football, man to man pressing. People playing in different zones of it. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I include Brian in that discussion as well, because they kept to their principles. But referees are not getting it, Elliot. They're not understanding what teams are trying to achieve. So let me explain this to you just slightly, because I think it's really important. If Saka gets a little tap on his own half, on his ankles, and the crowd gets up, he doesn't get a booking. I'm not worried about that too much, right? If someone careers for the back of him, six foot seven, Dan Burn at 100 miles an hour, doesn't bother to slow down, looking to cause harm, maybe that's a discussion to have with the defenders, let him know he can't do that again. What we're trying to do 
Everyone's trying to do the same thing. We're trying to create a spare man. We're trying to move the ball over to one side to switch the point of attack to go to the other side to create isolations. So we all know that. Ball goes in Saka's feet. If he's traveling inside across the pitch at pace, and Martinelli is standing on the other side thinking, here we go, Christmas one-on-one, I'm in with the right back. And he gets hacked out at that point. That, to me, is a card. Because you can mm-hmm. see what the game is trying, what we're trying to achieve. That is the same as a counter-attack foul, a dangerous foul. You're stopping a dangerous attack that's going to lead to a one-on-one position. If you understand the game and know anything about it, as a referee, you have to differentiate what a foul truly is and what it means to know when to penalise a team. And I'm learning it. If I'm learning it, why can't the referees understand what teams are trying to achieve? It's quite simple. It's easy to see. You know, once you see it enough times. And so they just don't understand what they're watching, mate. The gap is significant. And Michael Oliver's one, that tells me this is all about them and their position in the game. There were, I think there were six two o'clock kickoffs yesterday and four of the managers got booked. What is that telling you about what's happening, what they're prioritizing? It's behavior and a player towards gets an offer them. Double booking dissent. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. So the gap is widening. The gap between the fans, the players, and the coaches, and the people that control and manage and referee our games. That gap needs to get closer. So we all watch. We all got the same priorities. And I think, regards to decisions, we have to close that gap. And since Howard Webb's come on board. There's more transparency around conversations and incidents, but the gap between the referees and the people, the protagonists, shall we say, is not closing. It's getting wider and wider. Tim says his best of all, in my view, is that the number one thing he spoke to a ref and the ref said, my number one responsibility. And Tim was like enforcing the the laws of the game. He said, no, my number one responsibility is player safety. That's the number one reason I'm out there. And some of the things they're letting go violent conduct-wise just don't make sense to me. But they certainly aren't letting go complaining about the refs. And it just shows you where the priorities are, and I don't like it. But I, I, like I said, it, you know, it's not a day for referee talk, so I oh, think we can leave it on. there. Um, the Liverpool game is an interesting one. So watching United-Liverpool, Liverpool are obviously dangerous. We saw that. They squandered chances. They're always going to be dangerous because they're good. Um, you know, I, I think that's clear. But the thing that is clear to me with Liverpool is that you, they are going to give you the opportunity to get them in space in ways that we tend not to create those opportunities or not create those opportunities, but allow those opportunities. Um, watching this game was frustrating in a way because while I would never root for United, United botched a lot of chances to hurt Liverpool. Now, to be fair, that's Rich coming from an Arsenal team that botched a million chances to do the same against Villa. So I understand it's not always as easy as it looks, but... I, I look at a at a Liverpool team, Clive, that is certainly dangerous, always dangerous, but vulnerable in, in an interesting way. And I don't know what to make of this game because no one takes the ball from us. We take the ball. We control the territory. But there's a part of me that thinks with Liverpool, what you really want is to attack them in space. So I don't I don't know. What do you take away from that game against United and anything it has to say about the game we have coming up against against Liverpool? Yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna sound uh confident, but watching the Manchester United game made me think, oh crikey, we're gonna if Liverpool play like this, we're gonna be all right. You know, and um 
those words don't sound right coming out of my mouth, but we're going to be all right. And the reason why, Elliot, because Manchester United, for most of the time, apart from Kobe Mainu, they just booted the ball away. They mm-hmm. got it away. It was like Sometimes watching a relegation-threatened team try to get a, get a result. At most it, of the time, exactly. it's crazy. So Brighton showed more bravery against us than the main night show, right? To try to create some passes and create some movements in their own third and not just give us the ball back and try to create waves of attack. The majority of the time, Manchester United just booted the ball away. And Liverpool could create waves. And I guess why they had a high volume of shots, not great quality, not great decisions, but high volume of shots, you know? And because um, they thought it would just wear them down and eventually something would break for them and that would be the game over. And they just they just run away. But what we do, Elliot, when we do win the ball back often, which we will do, we will build up. We will play. We will hold that ball for 20 passes. And then their initial press will go. Then we will start to play through them. We will not kick the ball back to Van Dyke, and then he can trap on his chest and start playing again. We're not going to do that. We're going to work the ball through them. And this is not Fabinho, Henderson, the, the dogs of war in there, Juan Aldum. They are press monsters to get it out to their, to their wide men to, to whip the ball into a three-fours playing narrow. This is not that team that can squeeze you. You know, Trent is obviously, he's exploding in that position. But if they play Endo and Trent in that little double pivot, well, good luck with that. Seriously, good luck with that. You're going to get run over. You know, so just our ability to build and then spring is really, really strong. You know, and then when you play into the heart of our team, we can step in and take it, you know, and then run away, you know, run through. So... It's very difficult when you watch a perfect title performance and you watch Liverpool huffing and puffing a little bit, you know, and in open play particularly, it's very difficult not to say, oh, we're going to beat them. But you can see that we have the skill sets, we have the physicality, we have the ball retention, we have the speed, both sides, to really do some damage. You know, so it's up to us really. I, I honestly feel, I don't, I don't say it very often, but... The best version of us is better than them, and it's the best. It's better than the best version of Liverpool because I think we can stop them, and I think they may struggle to stop us flowing through their midfield, in particular. It'll be interesting. I mean, you know, to to be fair to them, the xG of their game with United was two point two to point six. You know, one of those types of games where you scratch your head and go, "How didn't it go our way?" But by the same token, I mean, United blew a lot of opportunities to give you a sense of how good we are right now. Our expected goal difference is top of the league. Three better than City. Four and a half better than Liverpool. Our expected goals allowed are eight better than Liverpool. Four better than City, who are se- you know second and third respectively, City than Liverpool. Yeah. Just to compare that to some other teams, Tottenham's expected goals allowed are 28. Ours are 12. 28. United, 28.8. Now, those are bad teams, so let's pick someone a little closer. Newcastle, who were, you know, sort of known defensively last season, 21.6. Villa, 22.7. We're 12.7. Our defense has been excellent. We're now over one expected goal difference per 90, which is a good metric. That's where you want to be. We're in good shape. We're playing good football, and the, the, the data says we're playing good football. I think... Right off City at your peril because we know what's going to happen. They'll get De Bruyne back and Holland will be fit after a little rest in January. And, yep. you know, they'll get rested up and they'll take the good, you know, the good medicine, so to speak. And, um, you know, they'll reel off 16 straight wins, 10 seasons. So I'm not prepared to write City off. 
Liverpool, what scares me is if Liverpool go into the market in January and get a six, like a proper central midfielder who can control a game a little bit. You know, had I think had they gotten Declan Rice, for example, you know, not that they were ever in for him, they'd be running away with things. So that's a little nerve wracking. But t- this, this is it, Clive. We're going to the place we can't win, and for the first time, I feel like we can. I I, I think we'll do a full preview of it on Thursday. But the thing that I find so fascinating about matchups like this is when we come up against teams that won't sit deep, that will have the ball, that will try to press us and push us back. This is a very interesting contrast in styles. And I'll be curious to see who's able to sort of impose their style. The first half we played at Anfield last season, it's as good as we can be. And it's a shame that they got that goal just before halftime because I think we would have gone on to win there. But um, it's there for us if if we can take it, if we can walk through that door. And I forgot, by the way, you know, Mohamed Salah will be at the African Cup of Nations. There is a small chance, depending on how far they go, that he could miss the return fixture at the Emirates. Yeah, I read that. So, so it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Let's um let's finish though with with the uh, the Champions League draw. Porto, um, Manchester City somehow got Copenhagen. Amazing. Um, what's your reaction to the draw when you look at it now? I, I think I'm, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think we can win the Champions League. I'm not saying we will, but for the first time. And, you know, we we were in it a long, long time. This is the first time I look and I say, there's nothing about us that isn't well-built for the competition. I think we are particularly well-built for the competition. So what's your thought as you look at that draw? Yeah, well, it could have been worse. So Porto, um, I did a little bit of watching them today versus Shakhtar and Barcelona to sort of see what they do. They sometimes go from a 4-4-2 to a 3-4-3. When they play a four four two, they have old man Real Madrid Pepe in their center center of defense, and um, they got they they they're not bad. Either. They've got a couple. They have they've got a wide man called Pepe as well, and um, and they they're not bad in forward areas. But I think we we we're, we're obviously better than them, right? So uh, I saw Barcelona beat them. I watched that whole game actually, and um, they're an interesting team, particularly in attack. But they give you there's transitions all over that pitch. You know, they don't sit there conservatively. They just, they go forward and they go and they run backwards. It's going to be a basketball game where you're in a bit of trouble, aren't you, really, um, versus us. It's a, it's a nice, you know, trip for us. It's not too far. Uh, it comes in a good period of the season when we're, when we're not massively playing the top teams. So I'm hopeful, right? I'm hopeful. We are, in my the return, opinion, the return leg's a bit of a bear. It's between Brentford and Chelsea, and then we have City the week after that. So it's not, it's not like fantastic, fantastic, but it's not terrible. Yeah, no, it's not terrible. We, I think we host um, Newcastle after the first leg, and you know, it's like, look, it's the Premier League. There's never a good time to have games. It's never a good time. <laughs> we just got, we just got to do do the job. Um, I think it's it's not a bad draw. Really. It's 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 one of the it's a good one. Two two and a half hour job on the plane. It's it's a good one. You know, so um, good for the fans to get to. Um, and the home is going to be fantastic, isn't it? I think there's a three-week gap between the two games. There's a bit of time to digest it. Um, it's interesting how we approach the first game, obviously. You don't want it hanging over you if it goes wrong, you know, because that could affect the games in between. But, yeah, I don't see anything there that says to me we should be overly worried as long as we get there in health, you know? It's been at Liverpool game earlier. 
we went there with Rob Holding last season in our back line. And we still had them dead at 2-0 until the game exploded away from us. You know, if we go there in health and we play the Porter games in health with the people that we know we want to see on the pitch and who knows what January can offer us, I think we're going to be fine. And I think, I very strongly think that we are set up to do well. The City, we're not scared of. We know, funny enough, we're the only team that's probably not because we know who they are. You know, we haven't got the experience of Real Madrid or Barcelona, uh, sorry, Bayern Munich. We haven't played them in recent years and played this, these versions of those teams. So it'll be interesting to see how this team copes with that if we have to play one of those teams later in the, in the competition. Just see how we cope with a big name in Europe. But that's the exciting thing. That's the exciting thing for the players as well. I do think we underestimate their ambition. They're playing together in a way that says to me, they want to win together. You know, and when you see the when you see the focus at the weekend, this team isn't messing about me. It wants to win. It doesn't want to. It's in a top four team anymore. It's really mm. measuring itself on we're trying to win. You know, and you can see it. Every, everybody is everybody's on point with it. You can see it. Yeah, I th- I think what's happened too is like these are no longer kids; they're young men, and. I do think that matters. You know, when this group started two seasons ago to to gel and and last season even, there was a little almost like a childlike quality about the enthusiasm with which they played and came out of the blocks. They wanted it so bad, but I'm not sure how much they believed it. There is a maturity about the way they play. I think Declan Rice is a part of that. I think just getting older and growing up is a part of that. Um it's interesting because, you know, I think one of the things I worried about with like Shaka being out and Party being out, you know, Shaka being gone and Party being out is that's a lot of seniority out of the team for a team that was already very young. But they've they've all shown a level of composure and seniority. Like I think of Kai Havertz like he's 28, 29, late prime guy. The guy's 24 years old. He's younger, you know? he's younger than Eddie, actually. Yeah. He's Crazy. younger than Eddie. Um, that's, that's yeah, a, I mean, that thought was amazing, isn't it? And so is he younger a, than Odegaard, too? Or or like oh. the same age, roughly? Yeah, know? Odegaard's just turned 25, just literally the weekend. Yes, yeah, so he's younger, younger than Odegaard. Like, I was going to say earlier, when you mentioned Shaka and Party, sorry to cut you, mate, but please, it's this is an important point, and maybe we've we've it sort of hit us without really seeing it. Is that Rice and Havertz bring more running power to our team? You know, they are they are better runners than Shaka and Party. That's that's the truth, right? So the running power to cover space, to really run the feet of people, is really there. You know, and so we've dropped the age to 24 average age of our midfield, but it's their running power that makes us stand out. And Thomas Party, great Shaka, we love them. Aggressive pass monsters. We missed that at the start of the year. We missed the centrality. But maybe we didn't realize that we are running over teams and teams cannot run through us. You know, and that's come to the change in the dynamics of, of that midfield. Hmm. Uh, I think with this um, with this Porto matchup, the thing that's interesting is they have they've not been a free scoring team. They're third in the league, but they've been very good defensively. So that's something to to bear in mind. The other thing I'll say is I have no idea if this will happen. I feel like they're always a team that people have their eye on their players. So who knows if there'll be sales in January? Mm. If someone will come in for their players, I haven't seen too many links. Um, they have so, a good forward yeah, called I mean, Chiremi. Is a is a good forward. And they got a wide man called Wenderson Galeno. And I only started looking at him today. 
and he looks quite nice on the left-hand side. Pepe from the right-hand side. They're the players that I know, and Pepe in defence. The manager is called Conce Sao, and he has a son that also plays in the group off the bench. And so he's actually <laughs> managing his own son, which I thought was quite interesting. That's just from one day of a... Uh, Looking around to see what they look like after the draw was um, was made, so we do obviously do a. Looks like Evan Nielsen is doing pretty well for them. Um, so you know one one to look at there, but yeah, I mean, um, we we will obviously be favorites in the past when we've gone to Portugal. Those have been tough games. I don't think we've done very well in Portugal. And by the way, it was a Portuguese side that knocked us out of Europa League last season, right? Sporting, we went there, we didn't do well. I remember no. losing at Braga. You know, I mean, we've we've had some Different team, not fantastic man. games. I think Benfica, we lost there. I want to say so. It, it's not. It's not. It. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, it, the the danger, right? The the funny thing about these teams, you quote, should beat. I think this Arsenal can beat any team in the world, and I actually think our strongest eleven playing its hardest is our best way to get through things. What we saw in the Europa League in knockout rounds is when we tried to have it a little bit of both ways. Oh, we'll rotate, we'll play a mixed side, we'll kind of go for it, and we kind of won't. We got bit every time. Yeah. So we can't do that, obviously. This has to be pedal to the metal time now. So we'll see, and we'll see if we do anything in January because there have been some rumors floating around. Look, I want to just quash this right away. I saw some kind of post on X, Twitter, whatever they're calling it these days, you know, like... Timber, the plan is still for him to be back for Crystal Palace in February. That is not the plan. Like, you got to think Timber next season. Timber will not be back if he's back this season. And I don't think he will be. You got to be putting like late April, early May in your mind. And I still think that that's over over pushing it. Um, So that's not happening. There was rumors of an Ivan Tony loan. And this is the thing I don't get, Clive. A loan with an option, not even obligation. If we can do a loan with an option on Tony in January, of course we should do that because it benefits us with no drawback. The problem is it's an awful deal for Brentford who are without Embuemo for three months. They're, they've got no one. They're playing Mope at striker. And by the way, that was pretty funny what happened between him and Emmy Martinez at the weekend. And like, no, they, they cannot let Tony go unless the deal is too financially good for them to say no to, and a loan with an option doesn't make sense. So can you see that making any sense for them? Because I, I can't. Uh, we don't know the whole plan, do we? We don't know the whole plan. So let me just give you, I'm just going to give you a scenario that might work, right? Ivan Tony's been banned for eight months, right? He wasn't even allowed to train for three months, right? So... Mm. So he's coming back. So he is not. I'm saying. I'm not saying he's soiled goods, but we're not. You know, he's not the guy jumping off the YouTube's. It's going to take him a bit of time to get back, right? So in our minds, for those that like Ivan Tony, we can just see him on form, bagging in goals, and solving all our dreams. That's not how football works. Sometimes you have an eight month injury per se. I know he's not been injured, but it can take you two months to get back. You know, easily, right? So, so I can see from that point of view that Arsenal are thinking, well, maybe Brentford are thinking, look, if he goes to Arsenal and it's alone, he put, he's in a massive shop window. We can create a bidding war for him in the summer. You could see that, potentially. I believe, again, according to the Twitter rumours, that Brentford want an obligation. And Arsenal are saying, no, we want an option. Because maybe Arsenal have another plan for the summer. Right, so does it 
I don't think we know how Brentford want to refill this position. Now, obviously, Tony's thinking it's time for me to move on. Brentford have probably accepted that and have two or three strikers they want to look at to come in, right? Which is, which is their plan. It's going to be accelerated now, and Bremo is is injured, and is it Invisa? He goes away to African nations as well, and so mm. they have a problem for January. But Tony can't play for the first two weeks of January anyway, right? Mm. So it's January sixteenth. I think he comes back. So I'm just I'm just staying open minded on it. Um, a lot of people think there's something in this, and it mm. sounds so. Cra- sometimes Elliot, when something so sounds so crazy. It's when I almost start to think, oh, this this could happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's there's there's too many people with too much insight that are saying there's something here for me to just and, dismiss and, it. And, and there may be. I I guess where it gets hard is like when I can't see why one of the parties would entertain the thought of a deal that's being discussed. I struggle with it. Doesn't mean it can't happen. I mean, look. We had to test Declan Rice in defense against a PSV in a dead rubber just to see how it works. So yeah. whatever we're going to do with Ivan Tony, I kind of think we, we got we got maybe bigger fish to fry at the other end of the pitch. We'll see what happens. We don't have to go into January too much now. I think that's yeah. a good place to leave it because we're going to do a power rankings pod tomorrow with Clive. Um, we're going to do, obviously, a Liverpool preview on Thursday, and we'll try to sneak in a Brighton rewatch as well over on the Patreon side. We'd love to have you there. I mean, we try to put out a lot of stuff. We're going to be announcing some new people joining the team who are going to be creating more and more for us, and I'm excited about that. So continuing to try to grow things over there where you where you feel like it's really worth it. But also, if you're just going to stay here, we love having you here. So thanks for, for being a part of what we're doing here as we enjoy what I think can still be a very, very special season for us. So Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith. Bought me on Twitter, Gunner. I can't believe what I'm about to say. We love you. We're going to talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. Mm-hmm.